שיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, מה אישים? to a very, very special edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Lehmet and Highland Park. The Highland Park is Shachimit. And we got Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky. Hey, Jeremy. Anshay Chesed. Rabbi Barry Chesler. Salman Shekhar Day School, Long Island. We are going to do something different this uh, time before Rosh Hashanah. We're all going to take turns. Well, I'm going to pass it over to Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky to ask the questions well, here. We started off with the shofar. That's going to be our theme. Let's go. Over to you, Jeremy. You know, Elliot, you do such a great job of posing questions and drawing us into the conversation. You, you deserve a break today. There you go. So I'll pose, I'll pose some of the questions here on the edge of Yom Harat Olam, the day that is pregnant with all of eternity. And what's the most, the most core symbol of almost any Jewish holiday? I, I can't think of another Jewish holiday in which an object plays a, as much of an important role. There's matzah at Passover, and there's the four species at Sukkot, but the shofar just is Rosh Hashanah, and it is such a rich uh, a rich sound, a rich gesture, and any human culture fills up its symbols with poetic meaning and the things that it stands for and the things that it connotes and the feelings that it awakens in us. And Rosh Hashanah is, and the shofar is just a really, really vivid example of how a symbol can, can awaken some deep feelings in us. So I want to ask you, my friends, when you, we've all heard the shofar many times, we've all blown the shofar many times, what, what is that resonant sound? What does it feel like to you when we, when we bless that God commands us to hear it? What do you hear in it? So I'm going to start. I'm going to, I, I blow the shofar in my shul. I, you know, <laughs> the great Serge Savard, I think I've quoted him, the hockey player from Anchokane, says, it's all about emotion. It's all about emotion. And I, it's an overwhelming feeling um, to stand up in front of the congregation, say the bracha. I, I literally choke up, you know, saying the Shekhiano. And this year, of course, you know, because, you know, we'll be together in some way, some some way that's real, you know, it's, it's a very emotional. The shofar conveys uh, so, so many layers of meaning. And one of the meanings is you're together. And there's nothing, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to use words. It's a, it's, it's a sound. And it, it, it goes right through me. Uh, I'm, I'm blowing the shofar. I want to I literally want to feel it in my bones. And, and, and I, when I do the, the, the Kir Gdola, I do it long enough so that I, I really kind of burst afterwards. And I just, and, and one, once my lip actually bled through the show, for that's how, and it just, you feel it, you feel it. So I'm going to say, I'm going to go, Alex, I'm going to go with feeling, emotion. <laughs> and, and the feeling that it has, is is you know there this is a very wordy religion we have a lot of words in this religion and this is the this is the thing that has the fewest words it has something that words can't touch right. so is is the wordlessness part of what what does it for you i think it's it's the the visceral uh it's yeah sound it's it's pure sound and it it's elemental visceral 
primal. It's all of that. And, and so therefore I'm going back, I'm going back as far as I can go back. And in my mind, in my imagination, I'm, I'm going back through generations and generations of, of people who stood there listening or blowing or, you know, doing whatever they did to experience this. And it's a, it's a point of contact with all the generations. It's eternity in a, in a moment. That's what it is for me. I can't, you know, we're all going to get poetic here, but that's when you blow the shofar, when you hear the shofar, you're hearing eternity. Okay. Mm -hmm. Barry, you any, anything you want? What do you, what do you Yeah, I think, shofar? you know, listening to Elliot speak, I'm reminded, I think it was Sajika Owen who had 10 reasons why we blow the shofar. But I think that because the shofar has no words, it is very personal. We make of it, it, we respond to it as individuals, and that's what gives it its meaning. And I suspect most of us don't really talk about what we feel when we hear the shofar to other people. And music is both pre-literate, it comes before language, but it's also post-literate. So in addition to going back, I think it moves us forward because it it represents a kind of striving for God. It's a language with which we can communicate with God. I, I, I want to build on that for a second because it, it's such a it's such a, a central point, you know. And I, I you know, there was a rabbi who once said, uh, you know, he was kind of self-deprecating about about the power of sermons, and he says, look, no one's going to remember a, a Rosh Hashanah or a high holiday sermon, which is may or may not be true, but no one's going to remember what you say. But they are going to remember the music. They are going to remember singing. And they are going to remember something in the sound. The sound. They go home singing the sound. They don't go home saying, you know, be holy, be a blessing. Oh, my. Oh, Yeah, right. Well, I, I think that the, the things that you're, that you're saying about the elemental power um, are enhanced in that it is not a, um, it's not a trumpet or a saxophone. It's a horn. It's an animal horn. And the sound is animals. I, I think this was in the, I think this is in the Shla, the, the, the Shneluchot Habrit, a mystical masterpiece in the 17th century, in which he, although he may be quoted something else, but he says, um, he says that in a certain sense, we come before God with the shofar and we say, we are like animals before you. We are, we are. We are groaning like beasts. We are mooing like cows. We are calling out, you know, like like antelopes or whatever. We, we're taking these these animal bodies and becoming the vessels for our prayers. I think it's such a raw sound and it's so, uh, in a sense, artless that it just calls calls from us um, uh, that that deepest, you know, really from the bottoms of our, you know, bottoms of our feet all the way up. Um, but you know it's interesting. Barry did did re reference the Saadi Gaon thing, and when and when somebody says there are ten reasons for something, you know what it means? There's not one reason for it. <laughs> there's no there's no one answer that's good enough. And and I take that to be a merit, a virtue. That means it's poetic because it's got a lot of space in there. And some of those things that Saadi references um, relate to. Uh, biblical themes, they relate to major theological themes, they relate to revelation, they relate to redemption, they send you back to Mount Sinai, they take you to the take you to the Messiah, they wake you up from your sin. Are some are there some of those that that strike you as particularly meaningful? Is the the uh 
in the Musaf service, for example, in the Shofarot section, the the selection of verses uh, connote some of those some of those moments. They connote the uh, the Akedah of Isaac, and you think about the Ram of that story. And any of those grab you, Barry? Well, it's interesting. We were talking before about Psalm 150, and Ellie was mentioning the pairs and how God is not paired and the shofar is not paired. But in the Unatanatoka, if it is paired with the Koldama Daka, that we have on one hand this great sound of the shofar, which in the image of Revelation at Sinai kept getting louder and louder. And then we have also the still small voice of God that we can barely hear the the wind rustling the the bulrushes, if we want to think of a river image. And I think that what we have here is this great paradox, this great sound and the sound of nothing. You know, the the Buddhists call on the sound of one hand clapping, that it's almost nothing and then it's everything. And that's what the shofar is. The other thing I just want to add, we were talking before, that we're supposed to blow... 30 blasts of the shofar, we blow three times 30 plus 10, 100, because we're not quite sure what the shofar sound is supposed to be. So we blow all the variations, which means that two thirds of our blasts necessarily must be wrong. And yet, if we don't hear the 100 blasts, I think most of us feel incomplete because there is a music to that mistakenness as well. So, so let me let me pick up on what you said, Barry, because because I love so much, and we all, you know, I, I think you know, Anatanatokov, of course, is is the the heart of of the Musaf and Kold Mamadaka. So, so let me let me place that into the shofar service. You know, you blow the shofar, and and you have to take a pause, right? So I don't want to do it on 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 camera here, but you know, and then there's you know a cup a beat or two. And it's in the in those two beats that you're between notes, you are still feeling so. I, I remember learning when I played clarinet. You know, the the the, the teacher said you got to play the rests. You got to play the, the the rests are so important to the music. So koldva madaka is important to the music as well. And we got to hear that echo. It's the echo of of it. The echo is still you know you know rattling around in our brain. Back to back to one more thing, which is the living. Thing you know, I, I I love. I have a place I walk around here. It's a, a little uh, ecological preserve and a forest. And one day, once <laughs> I real Hasidic, so one day I saw uh, a, a a deer with its antlers caught up in a tree. Oh. <laughs> so I I thought this is it. This is exactly what happened. You know, the animal is all tangled up in the tree. And of course, that's that's you know the ram and the thicket you know in in the Akeda story, and and yeah, it's supposed to remind us of the Akeda, you know, and and maybe Jeremy, you'll talk about this now. Say like, what do you do with that, you know, and the sound of the shofar in the Akeda? How is that? How does it all connect? It is such a rich. First of all, obviously on, on so many levels, spiritual, moral. Literary, the Genesis chapter twenty-two and the Akedah is just an, an astonishingly, you know, powerful, um, powerful passage. And one of the, you know, midrashic things is that the, that ram gave two horns. One was one was the shofar at Sinai that gets louder and louder and louder as God gives the Torah, and one will be blown 
at the at the redemption. Isaiah says, on there's this coming day, and the great shofar will be blown. And all those who have been exiled to Assyria and all those who have been driven off to Egypt will come home. And they'll come back and they'll worship in, in Jerusalem. So you hear in the Akedah, or the rabbis discover, in that poor ram stuck in the, in the bushes, the possibility of the great voice of revelation and the great voice of return and restoration at redemption. Um, and you hear the pain of this child bound, perhaps about at the very, you know, this, this ultimate traumatic moment, possibly about to be uh, sacrificed by his own parents. What I would add here is, is this image of the ram and Har Moriah, that it's described, Nechaz Basfach Bakarnav, it is caught up in the thicket by its horns. And this becomes a sacrifice in place of Isaac, although it's interesting that Hebrew says, Tachad Yitzchak, as if maybe Abraham is going to sacrifice both the ram and Isaac. Hmm. Um, but what it, speaks to me here is that the ram is caught naturally. Isaac is put on the altar by his father. Avraham has no right to make that sacrifice. He can only substitute something that was caught up in itself, so to speak. And, you know, many years ago, I, I spoke about the symbols of Rosh Hashanah. And what struck me is that the Akedah, the way we read it in the Torah, is done completely in silence. The only voice that we hear, as it were, is going to be the shofar of the ram that's bleeding, as if to say, die. You cannot do this. This is enough. There must be some sound when people, when a parent raises his hand against a child. It cannot be allowed to go on in silence. And it's a way, it's a sound also a protest that uh -huh. the world that we live in is not the world we're supposed to live in. So the, so the shofar is a protest against the implicit story of childhood trauma and childhood abuse. Well, maybe it's Abraham's protest. I, you know, I, I'm going to just go on a limb here and say, you know, we're all reading the, the arcade wrong. <laughs> how, how humble. That's the first for you. <laughs> That's very humble. No, but maybe Abraham is protesting here. And maybe, and maybe Abraham, it, the, the righteousness of Abraham is, is such that, that he knows that this is uh, an illegal order. He knows that this is immoral. And, and he, he protests by doing it. And he, no, <laughs> he, he, he hesitates. Read, read it carefully, closely, and, uh, you know, I guess, and say every step he's looking for something else, looking for something else. And Dafka, at the right moment, he, he finds the, the ram. I mean, it, I, I think, you know, obviously the, the, the great power of this story is that you need to have, um, uh, you, you need to be able to have uh, Abraham be the, the hero, and you need to have the Torah's revulsion at childhood sacrifice, and they have to coexist in this incredible tension. Emil Fackenheim, the philosopher, had a wonderful Canadian fellow, had a Canadian-German fellow, had, uh, had the wonderful comment that those who read Abraham is the great hero with, with Kierkegaard, right? The suspension of the ethical. Abraham is the great hero for he followed the divine voice even to the unthinkable. 
they rob us of the Torah, which says, you know, you cannot kill and you cannot kill your children. And those who, like Kant, want to stand up and say, no, Abraham should have protested and refused to do it. They, they rob us of the biblical Abraham. And somehow you have to have a reading of this story that, that preserves Abraham's faith and preserves the God who would not uh, want to kill this child. And I think that I would read it that Abraham is trusting that the divine in the end is not going to ask for this. But it, if you to be willing to be selfless and faithful, even as you trust that God is going to help you through the gates of Mavit, this story happens in the valley of death, and God does help him through the gates of Mavit. But let's talk about parents in a different way. There is a strong association of the sound of the shofar. I, I want to ex expatiate on what Barry said a little bit earlier about the wrong notes. We have a tikiah, a long straight note. We have something in the middle, and then we have another tikiah, the long straight note. The, the thing in the middle, well, the reason we do it in different styles is because there are debates about what should it be. Should it be a yivava or a yilala, a groan or a streak? And so it, maybe it's shvarim, ooh, ooh, ooh. Maybe it's truah, da, 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 da. maybe it's both, shvarim, truah. And those calls, that groan or the shriek, the yilala or the yivava, are, are often associated with maternality. Okay, they are they are associated with the cry of a mother, perhaps in childbirth, or the cry of a mother worried about her child. Anything that you fellows want to say about about maternality and the sound of a woman's cry in this, of the shofar? So, Rosh Hashanah on one level is the birthday of the world, and a woman, in a sense, is giving birth each time to a new world. Right, because each person is stands for not only him or herself, but for an eternal chain. And I think in that sense, it comes as a reminder that childbirth is an important part of the world that we live in. And it means for each of us in turn that it's an intimation of mortality because we only keep having children because we know the parents are not going to continue to live. I, I, you know, we in the, we, we, we live our lives with, with so many people in, in, in the rhythms of their lives. And, and uh, you know, the worst experiences that, that we have lived through with, with our people, with our congregants is the loss of a child. And, uh, there's there's just no no comparison no comparison in terms of you know I was talking about at the beginning about emotion you know so yeah emotion you want emotion you know you, you, that there's it's just ineffable indescribable you know those of us who are attentive to Israeli news and we see this you know from time to time of course there was a, a soldier who was killed recently he he, he struggled with his uh, wounds for last week and then. You know they play out the 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 grief, and it's part of the national soundtrack of of the Jewish people. You can't. It's it's just there, and and again, there's not. You know the shofar hits you to your core, and the primal scream of uh, the mother or the parent um, at the over the child is um, is impossible. It's impossible to bear, and this is part of the human experience too. And that's why we, we send it up. 
We send it up to God, basically. This is this is why. I mean, I, I think that that this maternal image is 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 really very uh, central to the experience of of hearing the shofar, but also um, as the rabbis bequeath it to us. So uh, the you know the hafsara is uh, for the second day that that is that Rachel is inconsolably crying for her absent children. Okay. Rachel Mivaka Albaneha. She's crying for her absent children and she refuses to, to be comforted. And it is this overwhelming love. And I think one of the, the things that we hear in the shofar is that disconsolate love of a parent who's worried about their child in the way that you just in the way that you just said. And this is the theme of Rosh Hashanah, right? We're kind of lost and we're kind of in danger, and we might not get the next year. And we some of us are gonna. You know, kama yavun, kama kama And some of us are going to be created. Some of us are going to pass from this world. And so that that parental anxiety is part of the day. And the shofar, one of the things that it connotes, is that loving mother who is groaning for her children, or in the midrashic way that that Sarah is wailing over this terrible thing that her crazy husband has done for her long-awaited beloved child. Um, there's so, two mothers in the in the in the in the in the readings, right? So you got Hagar and you got Chana. That's right. In addition to Rachel, you got you got Hagar in the first day reading and Chana in the first day Haftarah. But there's another lady who is surprisingly part of this story midrashically, if not if not uh, in the Torah, which is the mother of Sisera in the in the Song of Deborah and Judges Judges chapter the story of Deborah and Barak fighting the Canaanite uh, Sisera. Um, Yael comes through, and she's she's a big hero of that story as well. Uh, the mother of Sisera is in the song of Deborah, the poetic portion of Judges chapter six. Uh, she is waiting for her son to come home from battle, and she's waiting and she's waiting. And where is he? And why is he so so delayed? Well, we the readers know that he's delayed because he's dead. And the poor woman in that story which the Torah, or the Bible at any rate, Tanakh, evokes our sympathy for the suffering of the mother of our arch enemy, which is really an amazing, amazing reality. Hagar, Hagar's sorrow at her son, Yishmael is, is in a sense a rival child. Sisra is our arch enemy, his mother we care about. And the rabbis, or the tradition, it's not really in the classical rabbinics, but the tradition is that you, you blow the shofar a hundred notes, for the hundred cries that the mother of Sisra uh, gave out as she was waiting for her son. I think that is just an amazing uh, spiritual kind of sensitivity to find it in us to, to have some sympathy for even our, our arch rival in their, in their pain. Um, okay. So that what happens else? still today. You know, you read stories of enemies say, who have lost children in the shared conflict and they can make peace with each other out of the grief for the loss of their own child and recognizing the loss of their enemy's child as well. I don't I, I, I'm not as, I have to, I have to sit with this a lot because, because there, there, there is a sense, you know, from what I read and, and I'm not know enough about this, but there's, you know, Cicero is, is a, is a cruel, cruel human being. His mother, you know, is is um, is proud of of his cruelty, and so what is what 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 there it's 
there is a, a profound inversion here. You know, look how cruel they can be and look, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, a reach for, for piety and righteousness here. But, but I, I'll, I'll leave it uh, to, you know. I don't know that Sisera is so cruel in the Tanakh as he is later made out to be. And I think what you were suggesting earlier, Elliot, what struck me at least is that this, there is a maternalness that is universal. And we have to remember that, that everyone has a mother. And that bond is one of the most difficult to break. Yeah, but some mothers can be so proud of their cruel, you know, murderers. Okay, we'll leave it at that. All right. Barry, you just, you just muted yourself. But, um, okay, I want to ask you another question now. And perhaps we've all experienced this in a shul. Um, we, we took out our shofar. We, you, well, you said you blow it until you're, you get the vibrating in your chest and you feel it in your bones. But we've also, I'm sure, all been in a situation where somebody stands up to blow the shofar and they just can't do it. They, they can't get a sound out of it. And that's always one of the, um, you know, tense, tense filled moments because everybody is not Miles Davis on this thing and every shofar is different. And, and do you have any reflections on that, that moment of, of like anxiety and difficulty when it's just hard to make the shofar sound right? Can I, I just want to answer and say, and say, you know, we, 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 you know, we get very poetic and very emotional. I, I certainly do about this. But, um, you know, the sounds that the chauffeur makes, you know, the different kinds of wailing, cry, you know, there's also laughter. And, and, and I think that the, the, the range of sounds evoked by the chauffeur have to evoke the, the entire palette of the emotional experience. And one of those is exactly what you're saying, which is frustration, mistake, you know. And, and yeah, I, I've, it's happened to me many times where I couldn't get the, the note out or or flubbed on it, or it just, you know, you're too nervous. And hey, hey, everybody, life, it's, this is life, you know, and it's right, it's like, you know, after, after Rosh Hashanah, I don't know how you feel, but it's like, I left it all on the bima. <laughs> left it all on the bima. <laughs> left it all on the, left it all on the court. Um, Barry, anything you want to say about that? You're muted, though. It's interesting that you say that because um, this year, for the first time in many years, I did not blow the shofar um, when I dove in Shachrit at home. Um, in part because I have teenagers, uh, a teenager is still asleep late in the morning. And so I actually had to blow the shofar. Um, we started school on Monday, it was staff days. And so yesterday and Monday, I did all right for the first time. But then today, when I'm in the minion with the kids, it was a little schwach. And, you know, I, I think Elliot's point is that Rosh Hashanah really is about the human experience, and it runs the, the gamut. And one of the things that we're supposed to take away from Rosh Hashanah is that our community is our family. It's both our biological family or our family by association, but it's also the Jewish family. And... In a family, people are supposed to be supportive. We all flub up, you know, we strike out with the bases loaded, we do other things, and you turn to your family for support. And I think that on Rosh Hashanah, we can find that support. You know, the, the, uh, the, um, the halakha 
is actually beautiful and poetic on this, which is that any sound you get out of it is adequate, right? A nice, rich sound, a little squeak, all of those things count as the shofar blast. And, um, and like, that's a real great metaphor for, for life, right? Um, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to sometimes make it beautiful and sometimes you're just going to barely squeak it out. But doing your best is perhaps what is called upon for us. Um, I want to, uh, we've been on for, for a while. How, how long have we been on? 28 minutes here. 28 minutes? Okay. That's pretty good. So anything else you guys want to add? I have, a, I have a little story, a little Hasidic story. Yeah, I want to add one other thing. So we're talking about the Akedah, and the rabbis subvert the whole story because, you know, if we would name the, te- the story based on its uh, the passage in the Torah, we would call it something like Nisayon Abraham, the test of Abraham. But the rabbis call it Akedah Yitzchak. And this little kid, as Yitzchak appears in the Torah, is suddenly a 37-year-old man in the rabbinic imagination. And it makes the story very different because there is a difference between losing a child in childhood and losing an adult child. Now, obviously, it's still a child. I don't mean to minimize that. But if Isaac is 37, then, and he's the hero for the rabbis because he submits. He allows his father to bind him. And that's very different than Abraham actually binding his son. And so I just offer that as something to think about how we go through life looking at things from many different vantage points because there is no one answer for all time, just like with the sound of the shofar. That's so true. It's so true. I, I just want to put one little footnote, which is, I think also, you know, the shofar as Mount Sinai, and there's, it's a long, you know, idea of, of we're also remembering this moment where God broke through. To, to the world. And, and I think that that image, that metaphor really, really, um, I find very striking, which is, you know, God is God and we are living, you know, as human beings. And there's this attempt to kind of break through and that, that's represented by Sinai. And, and, and it's not an accident that, that the echoes of Sinai are also present here, although we celebrated at, Rosh, at uh, Shavuot. But uh, Zichron Trua has a lot of uh, meaning in terms of, you know, the point where it all came together. But Jeremy, go to your story. I want to hear a story. Yeah. So I want to um, turn for a second to that, to that awe-inspiring piece of that, the way that has, has it sounded, the, um, the, the way the shofar just, because it is this animal sound and it has the intense vibration and, and resonance, you know, the prophet Amos says, Can the shofar be blown in the city and people not be terrified? I think it probably means that the shofar is blown because it's like a battle cry, right? You know, you summoning the people to battle. So you realize, oh my goodness, I am scared to death. So here's the story. This is a, this is a, uh, a Hasidic story about the Baal Shem Tov and someone named Zev Wolf Kitsis, who was part of his circle. And our listeners maybe will, will want to know that like when we talk about meditation in Kabbalah, we don't really mean like mindfulness. Um, the Kabbalistic meditations were, were 
they were basically vowel permutations on the on the divine name. So if you imagine you had hey, and you would play with the vowel pattern. So you would you would like put put an ah beneath each letter, and you would say the word Hashem, but you would think about different vowel permutations of how to how 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 Hashem would appear in this bracha or that bracha or this word or that word. And it took a long time to dive in that way. And one of the things that's actually true about Hasidic Judaism is the Baal Shem Tov did a lot of that, but shortly after the Baal Shem Tov, those things kind of faded away in Hasidut. Um, but in the early part of Hasidut, they still had inherited those very, very complicated things. And it was hard to, it was hard to make them, it was hard to make the mitzvot full of emotion if you were trying to think about all the vowel permutations of the of the brachot. So the story goes like this, is that, that, that Zev Wolf Kitsis was going to blow the shofar for the Baal Shem Tov, and he had an incredibly complicated set of the meditations written down. And he had written the yud hey vav hey with all the different vowels, and this way and that way and this way and that way and this way and that way, and he had them all on a piece of paper, and the Baal Shem Tov stole the paper. <laughs> stole the paper from him. And he got up to blow the shofar, and he's rummaging through his pocket, and he can't find it, and he can't find it, and he can't find it. And the Baal Shem Tov so, so, says to him, you know, this is exactly what I'm going for, right? The, the, the Hasidic line about this is, those kavanot, those meditations, are finely tuned keys to open very finely grained locks, but an axe opens every lock. Whoa. What's a good line, right? So an axe opens every lock. So you come to the shofar and, and blowing it and listening to it is like the axe that opens up all the doors in the heavenly palaces. They open up and you just that burst of emotion. And that's, that's, that's I think, some things, some things are complicated. The shofar is rich, but I think it's going for something that is elemental and simple, not in the sense of, of uninteresting or, or not deep. It's deep. But it's simple. It just opens your heart. It opens your opens heart. your heart. Absolutely. Wow, that's a great place to put the coda here. Jeremy, take us out. Well, so this is great to close off fifty-seven eighty-one with my friends, and and we're going to close off another year of Parsha talk, and we're going to begin a new one soon. So wish everybody from Congregation in New York to my friends at. Congregation Anshem at Island Park Adorned Temple and Salman Chekter of uh, uh, Long Island. Elliot Mallard and Barry Chester. Shout out to everybody. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you soon.